Yo, Mama. Sorry, Dr. Mama. How do you think this year's gonna go for these new students? I'm psyched. You're excited for the first day of school? Let's go. Why is everybody so rich? Are you ready for my party Saturday night? I got DJ Khaled's baby to make you a playlist. It's okay. Time out. What is up with these kids? In attendance will be the governor of California. Max, dad? You look amazing. Your hair's fire. My dad's also coming. I don't care about your dad, Spencer. I just care about Zach and Kelly. We all want these new kids to feel welcome. Can we talk? Did you just sit backwards in a chair? Wow, never seen anyone do that in real life. It's not gonna work unless we get to know them. You only know how Bayside works for kids like you. Hot kids, privileged kids, privileged kids. Bayside, it's where I finally felt like I belong. This place is magic. Oh, damn, I love magic. Hey, Max, actually, I ordered cheese on mine. Take a look in your pocket. Does this place ever stop being weird? Uh, a one, two, three. The old gang back together again. Will you go to dinner with me? Stop eavesdropping. We're not. We're the Bayside Acapella Group. Yeah, yeah. You're the man, coach. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. A single childless adult who parties with kids. episode of palace off the top rope thank you so much for joining me ladies and gentlemen and on deck for today's episode it's finally here the reboot the revival the continuation of saved by the bell for a whole new generation i'm going to be talking about that in the main event uh the series as a whole because all of season one has landed all 10 episodes are streaming now on the peacock app which is nbc's version of their Netflix. Uh, I know that platform got released earlier this summer, so it's still brand new. It's not in the consciousness of everybody just yet, but everybody's trying to get into the streaming wars, right? Like you have your established Netflix. You've had Hulu around for a while. Disney got into the game last year with Disney Plus. Um, HBO Max also launched earlier this year. Um, so there's, there's a lot, you know, going on as far as like, you know, all these different platforms wanting to get your attention, your money to get you to subscribe to their their services. And when I heard about Saved by the Bell that it was going to get, you know, redone uh, for the 21st century and some of the original cast members were going to come back in some capacity, uh, you know, I had my, my initial doubts about it. I was like, oh, man, they could totally whiff this and it'll be, like, really bad. Uh, but once I, I heard it was going to be on Peacock and I wasn't really going to, you know, pay attention to that streaming service for really anything, you know. Um, Friends landed on HBO Max. I knew I was going to get that one. Netflix, of course, is Netflix. Everybody's got that. Um, Disney Plus I have because of my kids, so, you know, that's around. Peacock wasn't really going to be one that I was going to invest any money to. But when I heard Saved by the Bell was going to be on there, I was like, okay, I'll at least drop 10 bucks or whatever it's going to be for at least a month so I can check out uh, the series. 
So you'll be getting my review and my thoughts on all of it coming up in the main event. I'm just giving you a little teaser for where it's at now and where you can check that out in case you want to, you know, pause this episode and then come back after you've watched it or maybe listen to this first and get convinced uh, of whether you want to check it out and then, you know, go download Peacock and enjoy the show. Um, and then also in the latter part of this episode, I kind of want to do like a top five of my favorite like revivals and continuation and reboots or remakes or whatever because it, it's been a while now and we've been getting a lot of these for a long time now. And some of them have been like, you know, really bad. And some of them have been like, you know, where has this been my whole life? Like, why did you all wait so long to do this? So I've compiled a list and hopefully you all enjoy it and, and, and I'll give you some perspective on how they've done well in some of these properties. And I'll even talk about some of the ones that I, I think have failed and just had no business being messed around with. So, so that'll be coming at the very, very end. But I wanted to start off with this. I wanted to talk about WWE's Survivor Series pay-per-view event, which happened this past Sunday, which I, I mentioned in one of the previous episodes that I had the littlest, littlest like hype for this going in. You know, I knew I was going to watch it because it was going to have the Undertaker's uh, quote unquote final farewell, which spoilers for those of you that are wrestling fans and haven't seen it yet. Uh, it did look to be like his final appearance as that character. You know, he came out, made a, cut a promo. It, it would close the show, which is, you know, an odd thing for WWE. Like it ended with a, a segment instead of a, a main event wrestling match. Um, so he cut this promo and he rode off. He walked off and the show ended and they made mention of it on Raw that that was it. That was the final appearance. And then I even watched um, the show afterwards, which was is called The Broken Skull Sessions. And that's with Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's kind of like a video version of his podcast where he interviews wrestlers and whatnot. So he had done one already with The Undertaker. And there it was. he just has so many stories and he's been around for so long that they did a part two to it. And Stone Cold Steve Austin pretty much asked him, like, hey, like, are you satisfied? Like, is this it? And Undertaker's like, yeah, like at this point, like he knows he can't do it anymore physically in his mind, mentally, in terms of having a passion for it. Of course, he would want to do it forever, but he knows his body cannot keep up with the way he expects to perform as that character. So, yes, he's retired, um, but of course, he he teased very, very lightly that if Vince gave him a call, you know, down the road, maybe he may come back in an appearance or whatever, but. In terms of like wrestling at all, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Undertaker's really up there in age in terms of wrestling wise, and so many injuries and all that piled up throughout the years and surgeries. Yeah, I, I can pretty much. I think I know he's been done for a while, but it was nice to hear him admit it with Steve Austin. Even Stone Cold Steve Austin was like, "Hey, like I'm glad to hear you say that. Like I'm a little bit, you know, relieved as well because you know he still got you know his life ahead of him with his." wife and kids and being there for them and venturing off into whatever he wants to do next in his life like he's you know but yeah it's uh the undertaker is a big part of his life and he'll always be associated with that character so yeah uh the final farewell was this past sunday it was a farewell so uh that actually made it a good show overall and the matches were not too bad either um, I enjoyed the Survivor Series tag team matchups that they had. Um, 
the the men's Raw versus SmackDown was pretty good. Um, I was real iffy on the finish of it, which was Raw completely sweeping uh, SmackDown. So all the members of Monday Night Raw were left standing still. And that hadn't happened since like 2006 with DX and CM Punk and the Hardy Boys. So I was like, oh, okay, they hadn't done that in a while. You know, whatever. You got Matt Riddle and Keith Lee, two of the rising stars there on that roster. They were survivors, so, like, I'm okay with that. But also it's like, you know, for some reason Vince McMahon still thinks of Monday Night Raw as, like, the flagship show. Even though, like, SmackDown now is on a very higher-end channel and it's got a lot of the more better stars on it, at least I think. And yet they still, he still has to put, you know, Raw over SmackDown in some capacity. So I can't remember the last time, at least in these last couple of years, where SmackDown got the better of of Monday Night Raw. So, you know, there was that, that match, like it was good and the outcome's fine, but I I just had to add my little notes on that. Uh, Sasha versus Asuka Banks, Raw Women's Champion versus SmackDown Women's Champion was fantastic. Really good match. I knew they were going to... You know, they'll, they'll always put on a good match. My only problem with this was that it's been done to death already. Like, they, they, if nobody has any, like, you know, short-sighted memory, they just fought at SummerSlam. So it's like, I'm all about, like, you know, what fresh matchups can you give me? What new stars can you potentially put over? Like, I don't have a problem with them wrestling because it's always going to be good. But, you know, it's like you don't want to, like, overdo it to the point where it's like, oh, man, like, again. But they put they pulled off a good enough match, and this time around, Sasha Banks got the victory, which is awesome because she's like on this tremendous roll. You know, she finally beat Bailey, and you know she's had a couple of title defenses, and that's always been the the stigma on her is that she can't you know retain championships. Once she defends them, she always loses it. But she's had a couple now. She's gotten some victories, and she's getting more notoriety in the mainstream because she's in uh, the Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, which you can check out now on Disney Plus. I still need to catch up with that, and I've been really wanted to because I want to see what her role is in it. Um, so, you know, there's an avenue there for her to possibly eventually go into Hollywood if that's what she wants to do. But for right now, I think she's sitting on top of the the wrestling women's world. Um, you know, I, I have to say she has to be the absolute best right now, and then Bailey would be number two. But of course, if Becky Lynch comes back into play, you know, we all know we all know who the true superstar is there. But right now she's on top, and she got the win over Asuka. So, you know, I wasn't upset with that outcome because Asuka's had a pretty good year as well. Uh, so that loss doesn't hurt her. And then the women's Survivor Series matchup was pretty good as well until the very end. Um, they're pushing Lana for some reason as this huge baby face. Now, I know they don't have real crowds right now in attendance, so WWE can really control the narrative as far as like who they want to get over so i could tell you if there was fans in attendance they certainly would not be pulling for this they would be pulling for the the actual star of the match which was bianca belair who had a tremendous outing uh towards the final moments of this match where she was battling off nia Jax and Shayna baszler and she was doing all these incredible things and you had this opportunity to put over a new star because lana's been around forever And I'm not trying to knock her or anything, but she's not the best wrestler either. Like, Bianca Belair is like the total package, right? She's got the character. She can talk on the mic. And she can wrestle. She's freaking strong as heck. Like, I can see her beating up some guys. I I could say she looks more believable um, than, like, a Charlotte Flair. And I know for a while I used to always say, like, man, I could see Charlotte Flair having a match with, like, Seth Rollins. And, it, you know, 
going toe-to-toe. But for Bianca Belair, I can see her actually beating up Seth Rollins for real and it being, like, legit. Like, that's how strong this woman looks, not just in character, but the way she presents herself. So she was having this tremendous, tremendous performance in this matchup. And then, of course, like, it ends in some schmoz double countout. And Lana ends up being the sole survivor because she was scolded by Jax and Shayna Baszler to stay out of the way and just stay in the corner of the ring, which she did the whole match. And she ends up winning. And it's like, where is this going to go? Because we know Lana's not going to get a championship opportunity or anything like that. But this would have been a good moment to really make a new star in Bianca Belair and position her as one of the top female superstars on SmackDown. Now, you're going to have to eventually put uh, some opponents for Sasha Banks. I know they're they're going to go back to Bailey at some point because they need to revisit that feud and have... They really have to have like another match, uh, somewhere like a WrestleMania. But you know, have somebody in the wings, have somebody that you're grooming. Like, I don't know, just WWE again blew this opportunity to make a new star. And again, I know they don't have the crowds right now, so they can control it the way they wanted to. They want to get over who they ever, whoever they want to get over. But I'm telling you, if they had a live crowd there. That whole crowd would have been eating up Bianca Belair. And they probably would have booed the hell out of that finish. So, But other than that, the pay-per-view was very surprisingly uh, well put together. Uh, the Roman Reigns-Drew McIntyre match was not bad. And certainly that could have been like a WrestleMania-type matchup. A dream matchup, you could say, as far as like the two respective champions from both brands to maybe collide at some point later down the line. Um, Roman Reigns got the victory, of course, because he's the hottest heel right now in that company. Um, who knows what that's going to lead to down the line, whether it's a match with The Rock, if they can get him. But, you know, if there's still no crowds and, or anything like that, I highly doubt The Rock would want to come back to an empty arena or somewhat, you know, half crowd type of thing if that's what ends up happening for Mania. But if they don't go in that direction, I would love to see Daniel Bryan maybe get one more shot at the championship as the babyface. And I think him and, and Roman Reigns could really create a really good WrestleMania match, a good, real strong match for Roman Reigns to put under his belt and say, like, hey, that's one of the greatest matches I've ever had in my career because Daniel Bryan can make anybody look good. And also, you could also put the strap on Daniel Bryan too one more time because he's also stated that this final run that he's on, this is kind of like his final run as a as a regular superstar, right? As far as like competing week to week and, and whatnot. So I think eventually down the line, he's going to transition into more of a special attraction. He'll come out every now and then, kind of like a John Cena. Like John Cena's not around anymore regular, regularly, but he'll pop up every once in a while for a big program like a WrestleMania, which he just had earlier this year. That's the last time we saw him. And uh, I'm sure he'll come back at some point for, for another big appearance, whatever. It could be a Royal Rumble, a surprise entrance, you know, something like that. But not like a regular type worker. And I think that's where eventually Daniel Bryan's going to, you know, that's where he's going to stake claim as far as like his status in the company. So, yeah, if he could get one final run with Roman Reigns at that championship, if not win, at least, you know, have a, a hell of a WrestleMania match. At least that's how I would book it at this point. But who knows what's going on in the mind of Vince McMahon and where he wants to take this company at this point. As we're still dealing with this pandemic and the shows are still kind of like 
lackluster with no real crowds. I know they got the virtual fans there on the screens, but it's not the same thing. Piped in crowd noise. Been there, done that. They used to do it back in the day with SmackDown, so I'm used to it, but it doesn't work. And one other thing that WWE is going to do that's going to be a little different now is that their contract with the Amway Center in Orlando is about to expire. So they're going to transition over to the Tropicana field. I think that's where the... Not sure if it's where the Rays play or, or whatnot. It, it's some baseball stadium. So they're going to have their shows there starting with Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, which is coming up in about a month. Uh, that's the next pay-per-view. And then from here on out, they're going to have their shows there, Raw, SmackDown. I think the Royal Rumble is going to be there as well. And then we'll see what happens with WrestleMania. They're going to have to announce something at some point. It's supposed to be in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium, which they just opened up. It's the field where the the Los Angeles Rams and the Chargers play. But with the way everything's going, I don't think we're going to get back to full-on stadium crowds just yet. Um, So another option that's been talked about is doing Tampa Bay again and doing Raymond James Stadium. Now I know they're allowing fans and whatnot, and and this kind of coincides with what the Super Bowl is going to do. I think it's about they're going to allow 25% capacity for the Super Bowl as far as fan attendance. So we'll see if WWE follows that same, you know, limit or who knows, you know, WrestleMania, I think is supposed to be at the end of March in 2021 or early April. So who knows where we're going to be as a country by then, maybe things will be a lot better and they'll allow more fans. So we'll see, but yep. Pretty decent survivor series. You know, I guess going in with no expectations made it a more enjoyable show. Maybe if I had overhyped it in my head, It would have been a disappointment, but ended up being a fine show. But let's take a break here, and when we come back, I'm going to talk all about Saved by the Bell, the new iteration for a new generation, and uh, spoilers, they did a fantastic job with it. This is Palace Off the Top Rope. We'll be right back. The time will come, Diana, and everything will be different. Citizens of the world, I'm here to change your life. I've never been one for rules. The answer is always more. Wonder Woman 1984, pretty PG-13. All right, welcome back to the show. So I'm going to preface this. I was really, really worried and really had this idea in my head that this new version of Saved by the Bell was going to be completely completely in your face with like wokeness and diversity and all that stuff that's kind of like in the forefront now of of where we are as a society and pop culture and I say this as like I'm a fan of all that stuff I'm a fan of diversity I'm a fan of you know putting things in its proper context the way it should be but I'm not a fan of when it's thrown in your face constantly and the whole thing about diversity, when you make that the the focal point and the only thing uh, about your movie or TV show or whatever it is, it could get tiring. And I love it when worlds just are. Like, it's okay to mention it. But if you let the world just be, then I think that's where we're going to be able to progress as a species And let me give you some examples of that. I know I'm going to count these down later in my little list. But, for example, Creed. It's a continuation of the the Rocky universe. 
yes, Rocky's in the movie, but the story is now central on uh, Apollo Creed's son, played by Michael B. Jordan, who's an African-American. And the entire movie is primarily an African-American cast. And this could have gone wrong in all the diff- different ways, too, where, where they could have thrown it in your face like, hey, look, it's an all-black cast. It's an all, you know, whatever. But it doesn't. It's just a world that is. It's a world that exists, and people are just living in it, and that's it. There's no need to mention it or throw it in your face. And I love about that. It made the story more beautiful and just – it's just cool. It's just people existing. It's people living. You know, isn't that – Ultimately, the goal that we're trying to to live in is just an an equal world. Um, Mission Impossible did this. This series adapted and evolved through the years. And in Part 5, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, uh, they introduced a character named Isla Frost, played by Rebecca Ferguson. And this woman was an equal to Tom Cruise as far as, like, ability and being able to figure out, you know, schemes and you know, theories or, or whatever the characters are trying to do in the movie. And the movie could have easily presented her as like, as far as like the characters around her being like, oh, you're a woman. You can't do what a man can do. But it's not. It's just a world that exists and the people just treat her as an equal and, and the movie just flows along. Same thing with like a movie like Mad Max uh, Fury Road. Now The movie is called Mad Max and it stars Tom Hardy in that role, which was once occupied by Mel Gibson. But the movie's not even about him. It's more about the Charlize Theron character, Furiosa. And again, the movie just plays along. The movie just exists. The world exists. You don't see Tom Hardy's character, Mad Max, like making a face at Charlize Theron. Like, oh, like you're a woman. You can't do what I can do. Or I'm smarter than you or whatever. No, she's just an equal to him. And it's just a world that exists. And it's not thrown in your face. I love that. Let the worlds just exist. They redid Ocean's uh, Eleven with a female cast. Tremendous. Not having to throw in your face that, hey, look, it's an all-female cast. Like, it was just a world. That's the crew they got together, and it just exists. And life goes on. It's an equal world. And isn't that what we're all pushing forward? Isn't that what we're, you know, trying to get to? I love diversity. But don't make it the only thing. I'm okay with the woke thing. But don't push it as your only agenda and blah, blah, blah. Like just let the world play out. Make mention of it here and then. And what's the beautiful part about Saved by the Bell is that it's all tug-in-cheek. And, and it's not there to throw it in your face. There's all of it. The diversity. The 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 clashing of, of, of you know, society. And, you know, the different levels of elitist, the rich, you know, the the poor, and all that stuff is in there. And I don't mean to get all serious with this. I'm just trying to make a point. And it, there's knocks and jabs at it, but it's not in your face about it. Again, it's just the world that just evolves, and they just adapt to it. So without further ado, here's my review of Saved by the Bell for a new generation. When I wake up in the morning, the alarm gives out a warning. I don't think I'll ever make it on time.
admit I wasn't a fan of this new uh, version of the song, which has like the same lyrics from the original. Uh, this intro got um, released like a day or two before the the season one dropped. Uh, I believe it was like on Wednesday, and I took a second and I was like, you know what? Like this isn't catered to me now. Like yes, as an adult, I can still watch this show and enjoy it, but it's catered more for for the next generation of young, you know, adult teens or whatnot that are that are trying to experience this show for the first time. Uh, my kids are growing up quickly, and you know they have enjoyed the new Cobra Kai series. You know, they went back and saw the original Karate Kid movies. So that way they could get context for this one. I asked if they were interested in Saved by the Bell because I knew they were going to do this new generation type one, kind of like the way Cobra Kai did, you know, bringing in a young cast. So last weekend we almost binge watched the entire series and they were enjoying it. So I I think they're going to be up for watching this new version of it. Uh, whenever they they show up to my place next weekend, and um, yeah, so I, I saw this on on Wednesday, uh, binged it all easily uh, in that one sitting. It's ten episodes; they're all at around the twenty five to twenty eight, almost thirty minute mark. So it's a super quick show to get through, just like the way Cobra Kai is. This is not like your fifty minute one hour shows, like which is why I'm kind of dreading, kind of trying to catch up with the Mandalorian because I know those episodes are going to be long and you know I get it like but when it comes to TV you know when it if it's quick and it's to the point like I'm okay with that which is why I'm really enjoying FX is a teacher with Kate Mara and Nick Robinson uh that's like also like a 25 minute show but those are dropping weekly not at the same time but I'm sure if it dropped all in, in one setting I would watch it all in one sitting so anyways um so yeah, so my girls are excited for it, so I can't wait for them to check it out. And I, I for almost, I'm not watching it. It's not like aha, I'm gonna see it without them. I, I kind of wanted to watch this to see if like it's gonna be okay for them to, as far as like the content, is it gonna be a little bit more edgier and adult, which TV can kind of get away with now. Um, I was okay with showing them the original Saved by the Bell series because it's totally hokey and childish and cartoonish. Like even there were some points where like. My daughters were like, what? Like, they're getting away with doing this or this is too, like, outlandish. And they're like, it's cool. That's the point. This show was, like, on Saturday mornings. Um, actually, let, let, let's get into that a little bit before I get into the revival. Just my history with with this show. Uh, I have a lot of um, connect or I have – it holds dear in my heart because it was right there in the middle of my childhood as I was growing up. Now, as I just mentioned right now, this was a show that aired on Saturday mornings on NBC. It was part of their lineup called TNBC, where they would air like these. Uh, it would there would be cartoons, but then eventually it evolved into like you know these little other teen shows, these knockoffs that were kind of like Saved by the Bell. It was kind of like the original, and then you had like you know Hang Time and California Dreams and City Guys and all these other different shows that kind of trying to try to you know either hop on like the Saved by the Bell like bandwagon and and do their version of that and some of them were good and some of them like just went away quickly Uh, I remembered all of them just because I I mean it was always a joy to wake up on Saturday mornings on NBC now as a kid like you know they wake up and they just go straight to YouTube like no it it just makes me miss the time of waking up Saturday mornings and turning on NBC and you'd have all those shows so that's where Saved by the Bell had its original run 
And I think I more remember watching Saved by the Bell, the new class on that, because the original Saved by the Bell kind of ended in 93, I want to say 92, 93. And then they tried the the college show, which was a primetime, nighttime show. I think that aired like on Tuesdays on NBC. And that show got canceled. It only had one season. Again, you can watch all of this now. Everything connected to the Saved by the Bell universe is available on Peacock. Or on Hulu, if you have that, it's on there as well. So they've got the the whole series, the original series. Um, the new class, not so much because it was a whole different cast. The only people they brought back was Mr. Belding and Screech, uh, played by Dustin Diamond. He came back for a couple of seasons. Uh, so that series, I'm not really like, I didn't really want to venture back into or revisit. Because first of all, A, I don't know where you can stream it. I don't see it anywhere. That part of the Say by the Bell uh, somewhat universe uh, is not included with everything that's on Peacock. But the movies are there, the Hawaiian style. They did two TV movies. So they had the Hawaiian style, uh, which my girls haven't seen yet. I'm sure I'll get them to finish up their little binge watch before we get into the new one. And then uh, right after the, the college series ended, uh, they did Say by the Bell, The Wedding in Las Vegas, another TV movie. Now, I remember watching that when it originally aired on NBC because I was super excited. You know, it's the it's the the... The marriage of Kelly and Zach, you know, these two people that you've grown up watching on this show and you want to see them get together. Kind of like the the Ross and Rachel and friends or, you know, Pam and Jim in the office for modern day people. You know, just like that characters that you knew like should be the, be together and end up together. And they made a whole movie about it. And it's them going through shenanigans in Las Vegas. Now, it didn't have the whole crew. I think the, the only person they were missing was... uh Elizabeth Berkeley, who plays Jesse Spano. But for the most part, the entire cast and crew were there for that movie. And it kind of wrapped it up. And that was that. So they used to re-air all of this stuff, including the movies, on TBS and on other syndication channels. So I always remember waking up for school in the mornings. You know, my mom would turn on the TV to try to get us to wake up to go to school. And you would always hear the intro. I would always hear it, even if I was still like asleep waking up. You could hear the the say by the bell, uh, ringing of the bell, school bell, and then going into the the song and the intro and all that, and it would, you know, it would, it just had me reminisce about getting ready for school, and of course that's what the show was about it was about these kids in high school and their best friends and all the little adventures and you know schemes and pranks and all that stuff that they would get into with the principal and whatever you know they would battle each other in some episodes and other episodes they would all team up to battle. You know, whatever other evil forces, like, for example, there's an episode where there's these oil tycoons drilling into their football field and they kill the animals there in their, you know, school pond or whatever. You know, just episodes like that. Some of them some of them became like after school specials, like where Jesse would get hooked on caffeine pills and, you know, they would bring in the drugs element to it. Not to a point where it was like, whoa, this is like super serious, but kind of like of a little PSA of like, don't do drugs anything like that. So kind of Save of the Bill really became a little bit of a spokesperson for that. But that was more towards the end of the series. Uh, in, in its prime run, like there was, the you know, the main storylines of Zack and Kelly and Zack's like, you know, pranks, wars with Slater and getting in trouble with Mr. Belding. You know, uh, I always, that show made you want, want to go to detention because that was something like a staple the character Zach Morris would always get into like anything that he did, like oh you got a you got a trip to detention, son, or a season pass to detention, 
And it was like, it just reminded you of that and stuff like, you know, the Breakfast Club. So it had all these elements, right, with the friends and all these different characters and different personalities. So the show is very dear to my heart. So now we fast forward here to 2020. Now, I think they filmed this, obviously, of course, before the pandemic. So I want to say it was announced like in 2018, 2019 that they were going to redo the show. And I was like, oh, man, is this going to be like Saved by the Bell, the new class, where it's just like they're trying to do the exact same thing, but just like with new faces. And don't get me wrong. I, I would watch Saved by the Bell, the new class, but it was it never had the magic of the original and the characters were never as interesting. Like there may have been a couple, but at the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you the character names like Screech and Kelly and Jesse and Lisa and Zack and Slater. Those are iconic names. And But more than anything, it was the actors that made those characters flourish. So that's why you loved it so much. You cared about the characters, even though the stories were a little bit ignorant sometimes. And, you know, the stuff was cartoonish and landish. Uh, they mentioned in the in this new version uh, about a time where they dressed up Screech as an alien in the show. And, and that was a storyline where they dressed him up and he was so convincing that there was a UFO like government agency that came to investigate the school. Like, you know, just crazy, stupid, like shinks, uh, hijinks like that. That was like what made Say by the Bell awesome it was just like these crazy stories. And, and they were, you know, kind of it was cartoonish. But that that's why you enjoyed the show as much as the characters so when they announced it right and i'm like oh is this gonna be like the new class just uh same old same old but just trying it with a different cast and i'm like okay you know whatever let's see what happens and then little by little they announced hey that some of the original cast was going to come back to take part in some capacity now to me my favorites were always of course you know zach morris and kelly you know who who didn't love kelly growing up as as a teen teenage boy or a young kid going into the teenage years, like Kelly Kapowski is like up there, just one of the, you know, just first like female celebrity crushes uh, that I had as as a as a young kid. Um, Jesse was coming back Slater, and uh, they had done little type reunions throughout the years. Um, <laughs> I I hate Jimmy Fallon for the record, but he pulled off, I believe, in two thousand fifteen. A skit on his show uh, on the Tonight Show, kind of like when he first took over for Jay Leno, and he did like this sketch of envisioning himself in high school, and it was set to the setting of Saved by the Bell, you know, the the lockers and all that that exact iconic setting of the stairs and the and the lockers, and he got for the most part the cast back together: Zach Slater, Kelly, and Jesse. Though there was no Screech, and you know Lisa Turtle wasn't there either, but they both have kind of had their little personal issues. Uh, in the real world, which is why they're kind of like not really involved in this new one. Um, Lisa, I think, has battled like bipolar disease and, you know, there's issues with that. She has a, a small cameo in this new one, but Screech is only mentioned by name. He's not seen at all in this show. Who knows if he'll come back uh, in another season, which I hope they're going to have. But like I said, they had this reunion on, on Jimmy Fallon and it was so wonderful to see them back in those characters obviously they're all older now so i'm like man what are they gonna do in this new show like is this gonna be like cobra kai where it's like they're kind of still the main characters but you got like the kids version and them incorporated into the show and it's kind of about them also so the first trailer comes out for it and it looks very very hokey and like 
very very cheesy which is this it kept the spirit of the original the, the cheesy part aspect i'm like okay this is interesting and then you see that zach morris is going to be like a governor type character it's like what zach morris went on to become the governor of california that's like super outlandish in itself especially if you've seen the series and you know zach was always like a slacker in school and you know never really cared about schoolwork all that stuff you know slater uh is still like like the jock but kind of like not as successful like he didn't go on to like you know be an all-american wrestler or a football star or whatever in pro sports he's just like a coach there at the school uh jesse's more like a guidance counselor which you can kind of see that avenue for her uh just given the way she was throughout that series uh, she was always she was woke before being woke was like a thing so she was always you know very a very very feminist and it was always on top of like topical issues and being on the right side of of history and doing the right thing so that character was way ahead of its time and back when that show aired it kind of seemed like a an annoyance and everybody would poke at her for it in the show which is part of the reason why a lot of the show and a lot of the stuff from the past doesn't work anymore is that her character was actually really right about a lot of stuff and it's mentioned again in in the new series how she was kind of like you know now they're all the characters are like jesse type characters so you know her character really aged well it was kind of one of the few things that aged well and then kelly was coming back as well uh, played by timothy amber Thiessen. and of course her and zach married in that movie so they're still married to this day and they have a kid and his son goes to bayside so in that trailer you're kind of thinking okay well is this show going to be about him so i'm like oh is it going to be like the same thing like we got just another version of zach morris and uh so the trailer came out right and that was it and i was like all right i'm still gonna check it out i'm gonna pay my ten dollars and 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 see what this thing is all about and and for me nowadays nowadays i'm very like i have very little patience in terms of you know having a show grow on me like if it doesn't hook me by the first episode I don't want to hear from anybody that recommends me stuff like, oh, don't worry, like it gets good in like episode six. Like, no, if it's a 12 episode season and you're telling me it doesn't get good to the sixth episode, like, oh, like why, why even bother? So if it doesn't hook me right away, I guarantee you I'm going to quit on it. And I've even quit on shows that like were good at the beginning, but then like as later seasons go along, like it just dies off and it's just like not interesting anymore. I'll give up on it. Like, I don't know. Call me snobbish or whatever for not finishing or not wanting to start or give it a chance. But, you know, if your show's good, it's good from start to finish. Like, there is no in-between anymore with me. And it used to be that way. That's the way television used to, you know, always be. You'd have, like, shows that ran on for five, six seasons. And the seasons would be, like, 24, 25 episodes. And you'd have, like, filler in between. And, like, you just dealt with it. But now it's, like, everything's so fast in today's world. Like, seasons... You have like seasons, shows of seasons that are like five, six, but they're only like eight to 10 episodes and it's all quick. There's no filler. Everything's to the point. And I think as a society, we've just evolved to that. And I've evolved to that. I've adapted. I'm not for like long television shows anymore where there's like 30 episodes. I go back to my binge watch with my kids. Like we were watching uh, Saved by the Bell. Uh, I think season four and five, like there's 24 and 25 episodes in each season and even my little one was like, oh, 25 episodes. It's a lot. Like, it is. Now it's like keep it keep it to the bare minimum so that way your show can be good from the start 
to the finish line. And you don't have to have that filler in between, and you don't have to promote it to people like, oh, like, don't worry, like, it starts slow, but it gets really good by the halfway point. Like, no, your show should be, should hook you from start to finish. And I don't know, that's just my thoughts on it. And I'm sticking to that. Like, I've evolved, and I think society needs to evolve as well. So, anyways, the first Say by the Bell episode, so I watched her, I was like, is this going to hook me or is this going to be stupid? And uh, it's written by one of the creators of 30 Rock. So if you remember 30 Rock, that's the show with uh, Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin. And it's a show that kind of like did a behind the scenes of a of a sketch comedy like an SNL. And that show ran its course. It, it was one of the more successful modern day NBC shows. It's hard for any shows to stick out now because there's just so much television. But that was one of the ones that had like a good run and it ended. So I'm like, hmm, that always had... Um, you know, recognition as being a, a well-written show. I never watched it, but now having seen uh, Say by the Bell, I'm like, man, that show might be worth, like, getting invested into it in terms of, like, because I love dialogue. I love sharp written dialogue, like an Aaron Sorkin type thing. So I'm watching the Say by the Bell, and I'm thinking, like, okay, Cobra Kai, I love it to death, but some of the writing is, like, eh, it's a little too cheesy and kind of basic. You know, it's kind of too simple. And I'm like, okay, is it going to be like this? And I'm like, man, these kids are sharp and the adults are sharp-witted. Like, it's zipping and zipping and zipping and zipping to the point where, like, there's points where the show's, like, super funny. But then, like, you're laughing so hard at the jokes that you're missing it because they're throwing, like, two to three jokes uh, per, like, line that they're saying. And that's, like, the whole series. And it's ten episodes. So, like, it's really well-written. So, bravo to the writers. I really want to give a lot of props to them for that because it's completely, like, sharp. Like, everybody, every character is on point. Every character is so, like, uh, I, I'm, again, this whole podcast is about pop culture, right? I love it when shows are in tune with that. The original Saved by the Bell was like that. They would make references to stuff. Some of the stuff, like, that you didn't even know. Like in the original Saved by the Bell, they would mention a lot of Jason Bateman. Now, he was a character on, I think, a show called Silver Spoons. I'm not familiar with that. That was a show from its time, like, right? But it was like mentioned in the show. And here in this show, like, they mention all these different pop culture references and it hits the mark. And it's like, oh shit, like, it's keeping in tune with the original, but doing its own thing. So the, the whole basis of this new show is that Zach Morris is the governor of California. And, you know, they kind of make him out to be a little bit of an asshole, which is one of the hooks of, of this show is that these characters are now kind of like a little bit more exaggerated versions of what their original characters were on the show. So like Kelly's like a little bit stuck up and like a little bit more arrogant now, but that's totally not what she was on the original. She was super sweet and innocent and like the girl, like she was the popular girl, but always like. The girl, like, that was never mean to anybody. So, like, but here on this show, she's, like, completely different. But that's okay. Like, they're playing exaggerated versions of those characters. And you have to evolve them. You have to hook it and, like, make it fresh and new. Especially for someone like me who's watched these characters, you know, over and over again throughout the years. Like, I want to see something different to them. So, Zach, you know, as this, like, governor who's kind of, like, ruthless. So, he, like, slashes the budget of, like, the education system by, like, 10. I forgot it was, like, 10 million or... 10 billion, I think, or whatever. So a lot of the underprivileged, underclassed uh, high schools shut down 
where a lot of the poor kids go to and those kids that are, don't come from money and all that stuff. And it's like, well, what's going to happen to all these kids? And, you know, Zach's like, well, I didn't want to do it, but, you know, I had to balance the budget, you know, just being super politicky, but being like kind of a dick about it. And somebody mentions him like, hey, well, why don't these kids go to like the privileged schools with like higher like tax rates and all that stuff like Bayside, like Valley, which were the two main schools um, at war with each other uh, in the original series, like in the, in the rich part of town in California. So Zach is kind of like kind of like a, gets a gun put to his head. So he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll have those kids go to we'll have them go to Bayside and it'll be all well and, you know. Fun and games or whatever. Haha, ha. like I solved the problem, whatever. I'm the governor. So that that's the whole reason for, for the new show. So they integrate all these uh, kids from those schools into the Bayside world where Bayside is presented in this bubble like uh, like the original series, like where it's all these like, I don't want to say they're all rich, but just more privileged. You know, they got the good life, the good school, the good teachers, the good you know, equipment and gym and books and all that stuff. So they're all stuck in this little bubble of privilege, right? Like they're not all assholes, but they're all like, you know, they don't know what it's like to not have things. So you have these characters come in and there's three characters that they introduce. Uh, first one is named Devante. He's an African-American. Uh, the other one's Aisha. She's another African-American. And the other girl is Daisy. And she's a Latina, like Hispanic. That's kind of how they're presenting her but they don't really make mention of her heritage or whatever but she's the main character of the show she's like the new zach morris and by zach morris i don't mean in terms of like being like this you know schemey prankster that's played by his son mac morris who's a character in the show but he's not the main focal point the main focal character is this daisy character and she gets to narrate to the audience and do the timeout thing that zach used to do where he would freeze you know, the entire cast and he he would look to the camera and wink, wink and say whatever. So now she's she's seen this world through her eyes and she's pointing out stuff, you know, that's like, well, this is weird and this is different. So like it does a different take on it and it's cool, but it's not in a way where it's like, oh, she's shitting on everything all the time. Like, no, like she kind of like gets engulfed into this world. Like there's an episode where she, you know, embraces, you know, being in a school that gets to have all the good stuff and has a budget to raise for or a budget to spend for like a school dance. So, you know, she kind of like gets involved in the world and actually enjoys the actual school. And the same goes for all these other characters that are getting getting integrated. And, you know, this could have been easily done where the Bayside uh, school people, like the characters that are in the show, you got Mac Morris, the son of Zach Morris. You've got Jamie Spano, who's the son of Jesse. And then you have this other character who's like the total MVP of this show because she's super funny. She she has such attitude in a way where it's like this is such a fierce character. Like where has this person been all of our lives? And the character's name is Lexi. She's played by Josie Tota. She's a transgender actress. Now, it's mentioned in the show that she's transgender, but they don't make it a focal thing in the show. Like she just exists. You know, people accept her. It's that it's not thrown in your face, which was like, okay, when they mentioned it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a reoccurring thing where they have to throw it in your face or they're just going to let her try to be an equal in this world. And that's exactly what happens. Like she's just, she just is. Nobody ever gives her hassle about it. She's just accepted into the world. And I freaking love that. And she's fucking great in this show. 
Like I said, she's super funny. She's got such a, a fierce attitude and like her comedic timing is unbelievable. A lot of these characters like comedic wit, again, most of it is through the through the script and the writing. But these characters all flourish and they all integrate just fine. Like I said, the Bayside people take in these students. Like they don't have any clashes. Like, yeah, they mention like, oh, you're more privileged or what? You don't know. You don't have an iPad or, you know, stuff like that. Like they that that could have easily been the whole focal point of the show and them clashing and being pissed at each other and not liking each other. But no, they're they're all instantly friends right away. Right away. You know, they hang out at the max. And it's the same like Max set from like the original show. And even the Max character is brought back. Like they bring back a lot of the original like uh, cast members, even teachers. Like I think Mr. Mister Dewey's in the show. And he was like old in the original. Now he's like super old, but he's still the same character. And it's nice little winks. But for the most part, these new characters are what bring life to the show. And they give it a whole new perspective and they give it a fresh take. And the hijinks and the cheesiness of it is still there. And that's why you have the Zach Morris's son character there. He's there for that. Like he does all these outlandish things to torment the principal played by John Michael Higgins, who's kind of a little bit more of a not, you know, because Belding, like the character was fine, but also like he was an annoyance too. Like, oh man, like you don't want to see him get in the way of these kids and whatever scheme they're up to. Like him, he's kind of just like, Oh, you know, Mac Morris, like you flooded the school gym, like, oh man, but never like to the point where like he's an annoyance to the kids. He's kind of just there and he's a really nice addition to the cast. He has good relationships with all of them. You know, he's kind of more of a, he's rooting for these new kids to be involved in the school and, and making sure that they have a, a good experience there. So he's a good character. So he's kind of a step up from building, but again, the cartoonish, uh, outlandish stuff is there and it's absorbed through the Zach Morris's son character, Mac Morris. And uh, there's depth to him too, or at least they try to open the door for that. And maybe that'll be explored more in season two because here he's kind of like just the goof. He's kind of like the joke, the, the, uh, the punchline of the show and everybody calls him out on it. And he's kind of just like, eh, you know, whatever. But towards the end of the, the season, uh, one of the characters, Devante pokes at something at him, like kind of like, opens up like okay this kid's like dealing with some stuff like he needs to address it and again there there's just so much to the show to enjoy all these characters are fantastic uh jesse and slater are part of the main cast they're the only ones that are in the the intro credits like zach and kelly pop up in like three episodes throughout this season which is fine i i at first i was like man i really want them to just be part of the main cast but it's cool because they're like presence is known throughout the show and it's mentioned. Uh, but Jesse and Slater have like character arcs through this show and they're a little bit more, you know, grounded. They're not outlandish like a Kelly and Zach who are like the governor and first lady of the state, right? They're just, they're just characters that work there at the school. And so much depth is given to Slater who's this kind of like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to call him a loser because he's not, because, you know, he's still the head of the athletic department and, you know, whatnot. But he's, He's kind of like, uh, you know, he's not the success you thought he was going to be in terms of when you're watching the the original show, right? Because he was such like a suave, like cool character. But here he's kind of like, uh, you know, he's just a guy and, you know, still trying to figure out his way in the world. And is he still stuck in the land of high school? You know, there's a lot of episodes where he's questioning that. 
but he's also super funny. Like he is fucking hilarious in this show. There were points in this season as I was watching where like my insides were hurting just because of some of the stuff he said and some of the stuff that like was shown through his facial expressions, like just top notch, like Mario Lopez, like, holy shit. I didn't know you had that comedic, you know, jabs, that comedic like performance in you to do something like that. Unbelievable. Elizabeth Berkeley as Jesse Spano again. You know, she's toned down her her char- her character was way over the top in terms of like, you know, an activist and all this stuff. But here she's more grounded and level-headed because again, the other characters in the show, for the most part, all of them are kind of like little Jessies. You know, this generation is far more in tune with how stuff should be in the world as opposed to like the past generations, like, you know, my generation, the millennials and the the boomers beforehand like it's this new these new younger kids are so in tune and know how to call out everybody on their crap so this show as a whole works it's tremendous uh i recommend it it's a 10 out of 10 10 episodes you'll go through it quick it's on the peacock app which you can watch like on a laptop if you have a roku they got the app for it there's still other uh platforms i think they're waiting to get on if you're unsure about paying like $9.99, here's a little cheat for you guys. They're doing like a seven-day free trial. So if you sign up, you can watch the whole week for free. And I promise you, you can get through the entire series in like a day or two if you really devote your time to it. And then you won't have to pay the $9.99. Just cancel it after that, after your free seven-day trial. But it is a really fun show. It's so well-written. It leaves the door open for another season I don't know if they're going to do it. Uh, I hope that they do because, for one, I, I think one of the most important things if you're going to do a continuation, a revival, and not just do it for the sake of like, oh, here's a property. Let's 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 milk it for what it's worth. You have to have characters and stories that you care about, and you care about all of these characters. Like, I want to see more of Lexi. Like, she's so fucking good in this show. Um, I want to see the evolution of 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 Slater and Jesse, you know, they kind of make a little bit I'm not trying to spoil too much of the show, but there's a little hint of they're going to try to rekindle uh their relationship which is wasn't really resolved in the original show and and Kelly Kapowski's character makes a nod at that during one of the episodes and you know Zach and all of them like they're cool to pop out every once in in a while and they they make jabs about themselves from the original show like, for example, if you're a super, super diehard fan of the show, there's a nod in there where they're going through their time capsule stuff, stuff that they buried that they were in high school. And uh, they pull out this costume from a play that they did, which was like a musical that they had to do for Zach to to graduate high, high school. And Zach makes a little, like, under-the-breath comment, like, why did I have to do a musical to graduate? Like, why was that the only way I could graduate? Just little jabs at that, like, were... It's like a ridiculous thing from the original show that they're able to make fun of themselves now in, in this new uh, iteration of the show. Stuff like that. They do like the Friends Forever gimmick where they're dressed up in their rock star outfits from that episode where they become like musical stars. But that whole episode was in Zach's mind in a dream. And he pokes fun at that where he's like, okay, the reason none of this makes sense to anybody was because it was a dream I had. Like, he mentions that. And it's like, finally, like, dude, like, this thing was entirely in your head the whole time. So why would it make sense for everybody to, to know what's going on or 
or what's the point of the, the outfits and all that stuff. So just little jabs like that throughout the series, which make it so much more fun for the diehard fans. But if you're watching it just as a first time viewer, it's a freaking well-written show. Like it's smart. It's witty. It's, uh, it has stuff to say. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those where like, okay, this is a worthy reason to bring back the show and tell new stories for, for a new generation. It's great. I, I, I can't recommend it enough. And I've already started rewatching it again. I've gone through the first two episodes again. Like it's just that good. Cause there's a lot of, again, a lot of jokes that you're going to miss because they're throwing so many. It's a, it's probably the best written like revival show I've seen, like probably ever, um, and major kudos to them. And again, everybody involved did a tremendous job. And it's available now. Season one. You can stream all 10 episodes. And uh, that's my review. I don't want to go too much more into the story because I want you all to experience it for yourself. And hopefully I've convinced you enough, if you were skeptical about it, to check it out. It's highly worth the watch. But let's take one final break. When we come back, I'm going to rank all these revivals and reboots and remakes who's done it right at least in my mind this is my top five list you'll it'll be a biased list to most of y'all but you know it's my list it's my show i'll do it how i want this is palace off the top rope we'll be right back see all those words put them all together you have a story story captain why are you doing this Little girl is lost. I'm returning her to her surviving family. Well, you can certainly handle a horse. Horse. That's right. Captain. Make no mistake. Captain. Roads closed. Is that the law? It is now. How much you want for her? She's not for sale. The stories on these pages can't get us home. Go ahead! Dying for. You can't have her, and I'm taking her home. It's hard find anywhere. News of the world in theaters Christmas. All right, welcome back to the show. And I wanted to end this with a little top five list of like my favorite, you know, reimaginings, reboots, remakes, continuations, whatever you want to call it. Um, that word, those words are usually thrown around a lot in today's landscape and in Hollywood in general, because that's what we're starting to get a lot of, right? A lot of like, hey, what if we did this again in the 21st century? How would it play out? And there's been some really successful ones, but there's also been some blunders too. Um, and I'll talk about the biggest blunder before I get into my top five and how continuations and, and revivals can almost like backfire on you. And I know <laughs> these fans are going to hate me and I'm sure they hate me much already, like on Facebook and even on Twitter. Um, I, I really think they dropped the ball with the, with the star Wars and the way they did episodes seven, eight and nine, which were just a continuation on the, uh, the Skywalker uh, story, which is, you know, I know that's what they're dubbing this whole generation of nine movies that they've done. Uh, the, the Skywalker saga, but the whole thing, in when uh, when Disney bought out the Lucasfilm and the Star Wars property, and when they announced that they were gonna you know revive and do part seven, eight, and nine, I was like, okay, cool. Here's a here's a new opportunity to to branch it and move it forward, right? For the for the next phase of people, you know, not for the people that are thirty five plus, 
you know, that grew up with these movies in, in uh, you know, in the 70s and the 80s. And even for, for at some point in the 90s and early 2000s with the prequels. But, you know, those were kind of just made out of, like, I want to say just from the director just wanting to tell that little side story. But to me, they never captured really, like, the big, big feeling of Star Wars. Like, yeah, they were big when they opened. But when they were going to do 7, 8, and 9, like, it was really like a holy shit. This is, like, 30 years in the making. They're going to bring back Harrison Ford. Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, they're going to come back. Okay, cool, but what what are they going to try to present here? Like, are they going to try to tell a whole new story, something we've never seen in Star Wars, right? Because this is a story about a galaxy far, far away, and we can we can take it where we want to, right? Like, why do we want to rehash the same story? And while they did a good job in reintroducing it in The Force Awakens, where it was kind of like a reimagining of A New Hope, um, I, I can't put it in the top five because to me there was still a lot of like eye rolling as far as like okay we get it like that's a exactly like the original or some of the characters were so self aware of like the original characters that it made it feel like they were they knew they were in a Star Wars movie if that makes any sense so that kind of felt weird to me where they had the opportunity and where they did something truly phenomenal but this is a movie that has gotten like the most backlash I've ever seen a movie get where to the point where if you're talking about it with a group of people and if you say that you like it, you almost get lambasted for it. Uh, and I'm talking about The Last Jedi, which was part eight of this Star Wars saga, which I thought from director Ryan Johnson, who got to direct this one, J.J. Abrams did The Force Awakens. And he took it in a completely new direction, or at least wanted to, and was making us question everything about the Star Wars mythos, everything that we had seen before, and make us question it and make us wonder, like, okay, well, maybe things don't always turn out well for the hero and, you know, the character is flawed and and whatnot. But this received a ton of backlash from the real diehard fans who just, they want to see the same old, same old. They want to see Star Wars the way they remembered it, right? They don't want to see it in a way that's taken... Uh, for this new generation and for them to, to enjoy it and, and for their kids as well and, and so on and on and on. A lot of backlash and this led to Disney really shuffling things at the last second and putting together the final installment which was The Rise of Skywalker. That came out last year and I thought that was just a horrible movie in general. It had a lot of fan service and a lot of fan service that wasn't earned. So like to me, it was just kind of a movie that was just there to to service all of those older fans and didn't really push anything forward. Like, yes, the movie was in a way driven by new characters that were introduced, but they were always overshadowed by the Luke Skywalkers and the Leias and, and to some extent uh, Han Solo, even though he was, spoilers, killed off in The Force Awakens. Like, all of that just loomed over this entire new thing and it didn't really get to flourish as a whole new fresh adaptation. It was just like a retelling of what we had seen before. You know, it's the the battle against the Empire. And it's like, that's what they did in the first set of movies. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why are we doing this again? Like, you, you can go in any direction that you want to with this. And we're instead doing the same thing. You know, a villain that we thought that they had killed in the original three, th- third movie. Like, somehow was brought back in this one. And it was just like... Well then what was the point of the original, right? Like I thought the I thought that evil was defeated. Like 
couldn't we have come up with something new or, or you know, whatever? And to me, that was just like a failure of how you do a continuation and reviving a product for like today's, you know, generation. And there's been different different movies that have failed the mark on this. You know, they've done new versions of like Alice in Wonderland and, you know, and, uh, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Nothing was ever like the originals. Like there's stuff that you just don't mess with. And it's like, yeah. And they've done it a lot with horror movies as well. Some of them have done them well, like Scream, adapting it for today's generation. Even They're even going to continue it again. They got one coming up next year. And it's still bringing back the original cast, but adding new layers to it to make you appreciate it even more. So there's stuff here that's not on my list that still they did a pretty good job with it. And then some that are just so-so, like they're just there. Like they did uh, Child's Play. And uh, I mentioned this on my spinoff series. Like they did it. In today's generation, you know, updated with all the technology, and it was a fine movie. Like, it wasn't the best. Was it better than the original? Hell no. But was it, you know, what did it have to be remade? No. But was it fine? Yes. Was it bad? No. And those are just middle of the mill movies. And, and that, you know, that can happen. You know, they're just going to get lost in the shuffle. But then you got like the really, really great ones. And again, I'm going to be super biased here. This is my list. And you can say, like, oh, of course he picked this one because. This is the stuff like that he just likes. Well, yeah, but I think also they did a tremendous job, and I think like the critical reception's there, the box office reception is there, the the TV watchability is there. Everybody talks about it. Uh, so here are my top five as far as like remakes, reboots, continuations. Again, whatever you want to call it, that word is thrown around so much um, that it's kind of all juggled into one. So at number five, I have Star Trek. And I'm talking about the J.J. Abrams version. Uh, so we had different versions of Star Trek throughout the years. Uh, probably the most popular was the one with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. And they had the the television show, like I believe in the 60s. And then I think around the 80s and 90s, they did like their, their movies. And they I think they did like six of them. And then they did it into a television show, different ones with Patrick Stewart, Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I was like, okay, and then Star Trek just kind of just went away for a while. Then in 2009, J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, coming off of, like, you know, movies like, oh, I forgot what he had did before this. Was it, like, Cloverfield? And, you know, he was just, like, this up-and-comer, like, Steven Spielberg-like director where he was taking on all these sci-fi properties and doing, like, really cool stuff with it. You know, he did Lost and the television show where that brought in cool elements of, like, mystery and and all this different thing so he was gonna revive star trek gonna make it with a whole young cast and just try to retell the story with today's uh society and today's generation and he casted a lot of unknowns at the time now they're b- kind of big names you know chris pine uh, zoe saldana um who's the guy that played spock he, he was the guy from the television show heroes got zachary quinto and uh it was well done well done fascinating like updated version of that now you'll have your debaters and your people that argue they're like oh there's no way this is as good as the the shatner version Uh, you know difference of opinion you know whatever but the fact this got a lot of people talking in 2009 like holy shit this had no business to be like really really good now did it ever reach the levels of star wars mania no but it was like a really good retelling updated version of the story and it spawned two sequels star trek into darkness the greatest sequel title ever and star trek beyond 
I think it was a good little trilogy. The, 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 this cast was phenomenal. They all grew in superstardom after this. Uh, the biggest one probably being Chris Pine. He's one of the best actors we have uh, in t- today. You know, at least in my opinion. You know, he's done a lot of great stuff since. But if it weren't for him portraying Kirk and bringing his whole charisma to it, I don't think it would have worked. And the same thing with the rest of the cast. And, and the direction of J.J. Abrams, a lot of the visuals here were pretty cool. It was a fun Star Trek for, for, for the now. And I'm sad that we haven't gotten, like, another movie with this cast because they were all – sometimes it, it takes the cast. Like, you have to come together. It all has to work magically. And they got a lot of good people for this. Simon Pegg was another one standout as uh, Scotty. He was great. Um, I know one of the cast members passed away, um, Anton Yelkin. Uh you know, he wouldn't be able probably, he wouldn't, of course, he wouldn't be able to do the new one, but, you know, you could still do it with the rest of the other cast, and I would love to see another movie with them, and there's been talks of, uh, you know, possibly another one with Chris Pine coming back, but who knows, that's been up and down throughout the, the new cycle, and, you know, if those were the, the movies that we got, and they end up, you know, doing another one down the line, cool, but I really like this one, and I have to include it on my list, because I really enjoy the heck out of those movies. At number four, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, they did the original back like in the 60s with the Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack and uh, was it Sammy Davis, all those other cats that were like big Vegas stars and just big icons of their day. That movie might have been ahead of its time. They didn't really have the technology to do a movie about a heist. But you fast forward to 2001 and you're coming off the 90s you're coming off the biggest like era of, of Hollywood movie stars. And I remember when they first announced this movie and everybody that was going to be in it. Like, holy shit, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts. They're all going to be in the same movie together at once. Like, that was unheard of at the time. And now, like nowadays, like all-star casts are like the norm. Like, it's all you see now. But back in, in 2001, when this movie was going to come out, I was like, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. This is the coolest movie ever. So they they redid that. They updated it. They made it cool and suave with everything. The music, the cast, the story. Um, spawned two sequels. And then it spawned even like a spinoff slash continuation with Ocean's 8. Excuse me, which I mentioned earlier, which was an all-female version led by Sandra Bullock. And that one was also well, well done. But, you know, I, I still remember Ocean's Eleven and that being like, you think of that and you don't think of the original anymore. You think of of that movie and that cast. And that's like the impact that it's had in, in pop culture. We're like, yeah, it's a remake, but that's what you think about. So in a way, isn't that kind of like the norm? Like that's the standard uh, for that series. So, yeah, it it has to go in my top five. And number three, Cobra Kai. Um, shocked the hell out of me. 2018, uh, I think is what it debuted. And when they announced this one, this one I had super doubts about because first of all, a YouTube is not like a, a high end like production studio. Like this isn't their forte. Like they were just gonna start to get into like the original programming. You know, it wasn't Netflix, it wasn't Hulu wasn't even like by a big studio or like a movie. Like they could have done this as a movie. They remade, redid the movie, I believe in, I forgot what year it was with Will Smith's son. And I never saw that version. I can't make a full, you know, analysis on it, but I, I'm too true to the original. So 
I till this day I've I've yet to see it. So I was a super fan of the original Karate Kid movie. So when they announced this one, I was like, okay, wow, a continuation of the story of uh, Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence, but it's going to be told more from Johnny Lawrence's point of view, and it's going to be a comedy. Like that's how they pitched it. That's how I read about it through the trade articles and stuff. It's like they're going to go with this as a comedy. This was like a coming of age, like teen drama. The original, like, how's that going to work? Isn't that going to be like totally against what this series is? Because the original Karate Kid movies were like, yeah, they were good coming-of-age stories. They had drama in it. Yeah, funny moments in it. But it wasn't you, – you don't look at those movies and be like, oh, it's a good comedy. Like, no. But that's the way they were selling this. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a huge disaster. But then when, once you watch the show and you watch that, yes, there's funny elements to the show. But for the most part, it continues a lot of the same dramatic beats of the original all while incorporating all these new characters. And that's the biggest thing, right? you got to have characters that you care about. It can't just be like uh, the characters of the past. Like you got to care about everybody that's involved that's new. So you have LaRusso's kids. You have, you know, Johnny Lawrence's kids. They're still a focal part of the show. But you're getting depth to those characters. You look at the original Karate Kid movie, it's completely black and white, right? Daniel LaRusso's the good guy and Johnny Lawrence is the bully villain. But you watch this show after that movie and it completely turns it on its head and it shows you different perspectives. There's moments in the show where Daniel LaRusso's an asshole and Johnny Lawrence is kind of like the good guy slash like, hey, he's doing the right thing. And it goes back and forth. And that's the beauty of this show is that it's not all black and white. There's a lot of gray. And that's what makes this series great. Um, again, they're still the focal points of the show. It's not like the new Saved by the Bell where I just mentioned where the main characters are in and out throughout that series here. Like it's about Johnny Lawrence. It's about his redemption, but it's also about Daniel LaRusso and his struggles with dealing with Cobra Kai back in, not only in his life, but in his kid's life. So it, there's a, a balance to all of that. And it's just done really, really well. And I have to give credit to the, the creators of the show who just have such respect for the mythology that they'll go back and throw in beats from like part two or mentions of part three, which is a movie that's like criticized by everybody. I like Karate Kid part three, but you know, I get why people don't like the movie. But even then, like that's how far the, how far back the creators go in terms of like telling the full on story of the Karate Kid mythologies. Like they'll input little hints about that. And I'm like, that's a really nice touch all while you're enjoying the new stories that are being led by these new characters. So yeah, Cobra Kai, well job done. Again, I had my doubts at first, and I had my reasons to because like you're pitching it as a comedy. Karate Kid's not a comedy, guys. Like it's not, but it is a, a pretty funny show in itself. But for the most part, a lot of the themes of the original movies are still there, and that's why it's on my top five. At number two, uh, Creed, a continuation of the the Rocky story or the Rocky universe, because this is a story now about Apollo Creed's son. And the basis of this uh, starting point of this movie is Rocky IV. And who would have ever thought of all the Rocky movies and all the plot lines that you could start from, you figured Rocky IV, like that's the whole basis of why this story exists. And they do a tremendous job with it of getting you to care about this Creed character and him going to find Rocky and try to get him to, you know, learn more about his dad's legacy and who he was 
while also get, being trained by Rocky, you know, one of the best boxers of his time. And, you know, him learning that knowledge of being a boxer and also being a, a better human and all that stuff and just all these elements. And, of course, I'm a diehard Rocky fan to the core. So, yeah, you could say it's a little biased, but I think these movies were just well done. Ryan Coogler did the first movie who him and his dad were huge fans of Rocky II, which is why he wanted to do this as an homage and a love letter to his dad. And it was taken such great care of by Coogler in the writing. You know, this is the first Rocky-type movie that's not written by Stallone. So Stallone was able... Coogler was able to get Stallone to tap into something different that we hadn't seen from Rocky before. A really big vulnerability. You know, this guy that was weakened in the movie because he was given, you know, cancer. The character had never really dealt with anything like that. So it's like, how is the Rocky character going to react to all this? So it was nice and something different to see. Of course, something good came out of it. Uh, it spawned a whole new fr- like franchise, even though it's in the same world. Um, it, it got an Academy Award nomination for Stallone, which to this day I'm still completely livid about that he didn't win. Like It was just such an all-timer performance, even though that character had already been around for 30-plus years. Like Just tremendous, tremendous job that he did. And it pushed forward, and we got a Creed two a couple years ago. Again, another movie that just tied everything together with movies from the past, but also told a new story going forward. And that's what you really want with these with these reboots and these. If you're going to continue on uh, with the property, like you can't just go off the title name. You have to create good stories. You have to create good characters. So not only do you like the Adonis character played by Michael B. Jordan, you totally love the Bianca character played by Tessa Thompson. You know, all these little side characters also you just you fall in love with everybody. It's it's all it's all great. And they even give more depth to their villains in these movies. Like Ivan Drago has more depth in a Creed 2 than he does in Rocky Four. In Rocky Four, he's just a machine. Like he's a this uh like Frankenstein monster. That's all he is in the movie. But in in Creed 2, he's given like holy shit, he's he actually has a story here. So that's tremendous, and I would love to see it continue on and see uh, what happens next. I know Michael B. Jordan has been rumored to direct Creed Three, and if so, I want to see if he would take a shot at also writing the story. Let's see if he can do uh This is where I think a cool like history repeating itself would be awesome. Let's see if he can write a story for Creed Three and see what type of um, story he can cook up from his point of view. And not so much like what Stallone has in mind for it. Because let's see, we got to evolve and move the story forward, right? Keep the Rocky spirit, but tell a whole new story going forward. Not going back to the well. And uh, that's why it's at number two. But number one, and the reason why I have this is because this movie spawned the sequel that really changed all of the Hollywood landscape. And I'm talking about Batman Begins. Now, the word reboot never really came to the forte, never really became a mainstream word probably until this movie. And I could be wrong on that, but before this, I don't remember ever really hearing that term like at all. Now we've had Batman movies throughout the years, through the 80s, and then of course in the 90s it got too ridiculous and cartoonish to the point where like people got, you know, it became a laughing stock to say the least. So it went away for a couple of years. And then I think this was like around the time where I was about to graduate high school. Um, There was rumblings about that they were going to start Batman again. I was like, oh, is it just going to be like just another chapter? They're like, no, they're going to go back to the beginning. 
like back to the beginning, didn't we see that in eight, Batman eighty nine with Jack Nicholson? And again, this is just me, like still naive and not knowing that there's an actual backstory to how he became Batman. Uh, so in the nineteen eighty nine version, he just already is Batman. So they're like, no, they're gonna tell the story of when he was younger and you know his parents getting murdered and all of that and how he goes to you know overseas to like learn the ways and how he becomes involved with the League of Shadows and just as real early beginnings as as Batman and how he came to be. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, that'll be a, a different take. And then when you saw, like, the first, like, trailers for it, you're like, oh, man, this is totally not like Batman Forever or Batman and Robin where it was so, like, 60s cartoonish type. It's like, man, they're going to go back to it being serious and not that Batman and Batman Returns. If you watch those now, they're silly as well. But, you know, back in the day, like, you took those as, like, dark, serious movies. Um no, I was like, man, this is like totally different. And then when I finally went to go see the movie, I was like, oh man, this was like, this was like if Batman could happen in the real world. Like if somebody was out here today in the actual United United States actually trying to be Batman, like they they made it so relatable to the point where like, man, I can see this happening in real life because you know Batman's not a a quote unquote real superhero hero with real powers and whatnot. He's just a a rich guy with gadgets who knows how to fight and plays detective like that's what it is he's just dressed up in a costume um he's a cop for you know if you want to really break it down um so that movie was it was successful enough that they let this director christopher nolan uh a young guy at the time young name like he's a big brand now but so he did this story and he did it well fans loved it uh to this day it's still i think a lot of people consider it the best batman movie now, if you're talking in terms of Batman and the mythos, like, yeah, that did a tremendous job. And I won't argue that at all with you. But it, it was The Dark Knight, the movie that came afterwards. Now, to me, that's – it's not a better Batman movie, but it's a better movie in terms of film, in terms of scope, in terms of, like, man, you could really make blockbuster movies like this and make them, like, super, super serious. Like, it took a lot of inspiration from the movie Heat with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and it's one of my favorite movies of all time it took that element to it and dropped Batman and the Joker into those roles so it's like you're basically watching Heat with comic book characters in the forefront and like you come out of that movie and it was like holy shit could this movie be the best movie like could it win like an Oscar like it was that good and it made all the money in the world it was the biggest opening ever when it came out and uh it just changed everything. It changed the way comic book movies were made. And now, like, and even just regular movies in general, like, even with a movie like James Bond, which had been around forever. But now you have all these studios, and to this day, they're still doing it. I don't know. You can give me shit for it. You can say, like, you're being a homer for Batman just because you like it. It's like, no, look at look at all these franchises that have tried to, like, oh, we got to do our version of The Dark Knight. We got to put our staple on it. You know, James Bond did it with Skyfall. We saw like a a grittier version of Power Rangers, you know. They did the original one in the 90s, but then they did one a few years ago. Like it didn't make money, but I heard it was like not bad. But they they grounded it and made it more serious and gritty. Um, You know, we wouldn't be looking at the Avengers movies as serious as everybody took them around the world if it weren't for like the Dark Knight. And that's just, I mean, that's my opinion, but it's also what I truly believe because if you look at the Avengers movies, like it's a bunch of characters following, following this purple alien around for like magic stones. Like, but we took that as like super serious for a comic book 
not just a, a story, but a movie. But, you know, it wasn't until The Dark Knight came out where you're like, holy shit, there's actual stakes and like, like makes you really care. Like this is a big time movie. I, I think it changed everything. It changed all of Hollywood for, for, for better and for worse because now these, the Hollywood is dominated by the comic book movies and the seriousness of them and how everybody takes them. Like they try to treat them like these high end movies. And some of them are to that level, but for the most part, a lot of them are just like, Hey, it's a, it's a silly, funny comic book movie. Like it's not that serious. But, but again, Dark Knight changed all that, changed all of our perceptions of, of what a movie like this and a movie based off of property like this, off of a comic book, what it could be. So that's why it's my number one, because it's the most influential. And I've stated this in another podcast. I think it's the most influential movie of the 21st century, The Dark Knight. So, But it all started with the reboot, Batman Begins. If that movie never happened, who knows where we would be right now in the landscape? It's a very interesting question, but those are my top fives. Again, I'll, I'll read them off again to you if you got bored during that whole little spiel. <laughs> number five, Star Trek. Number four, Ocean's Eleven. Number three, Cobra Kai. Number two, Creed. And number one, Batman Begins. And the only reason I'm doing this list, folks, is again, once again, I'm going to uh, just highly recommend to you all the new Saved by the Bell, which is in the same spirit as a lot of this stuff where it's like it's a continuation it's brought back to the modern times and it's telling a whole new fresh tale with the same banner title. So it's on Peacock now. Again, if you're, if you're stingy with your money right now, which I know a lot of us are, it's pandemic. We're, we're saving where we can and trying to spend not as much where we, where we don't need to. Uh, Peacock does have a free seven day trial folks. So again, you can watch this one to two days, three days max. You know, but really invest your time in it because it's a short show. You can zip through it really quickly. I loved it a lot. I can't wait. I'm watching it again right now. And I know my girls are probably going to like it because it's got a lot of that same spirit as Cobra Kai, which they really love. So I, I think they're going to feel the same about this one. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I've really had a good, fun time talking about all this stuff. And again, reboots and remakes, I'm fine with all that stuff. But just, you know, treat them with respect. And if you treat the characters and the mythology with respect, but move it forward, you're going to have something good come out of it. Or not, you're going to get Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Sorry, i got to take one more dig at it. Y'all had your chance, Star Wars uh, geeks. The Last Jedi was amazing. I don't care. Uh, I'll take that to my grave. You had something there, and y'all blew it with your fandom because you couldn't let go of the past. And that's the point. Um. You can find this podcast on Spotify. Search Palace Off the Top Rope. Hit that follow button. I do share this podcast link through my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com. You can download the app. You can listen on your phone. If you're an Apple person, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave me that five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. I've got goals for this podcast of trying to make it trend and get it more noticed. You know, who knows what's going to become of this podcast. It may just be a hobby that I do. You know, for the rest of time or, you know, who knows? All it takes is the right person to listen to this and say, hey, this guy's got some talent. Maybe. Or maybe I'm just a, a guy that rambles on this thing about stuff that I love in pop culture. Either way, I'm having a blast doing this show. It's amazing. But if you all could help me out on that end, I would greatly appreciate it. This podcast is also available on iHeartRadio. I think I'm Pandora, too, uh, if you listen through there. Um, I'm still working on Amazon. Uh, through audible.com I think is how they power their podcast haven't heard back from them yet but hopefully it'll be on there soon 
And that's going to do it for this week. Uh, don't forget upcoming this week, my spinoff series, Pals Off the Top Rope Presents, 90s Films Turn 30. Uh, I'm tackling Misery this week with Kathy Bates and James Kahn. I'm looking forward to that as a first-time watch. And then, of course, I'm bringing back Abraham Trevino and Jake Ramirez. We'll preview week. I believe it's 13 already of the NFL season. So that's all coming next week. Uh, but enjoy your weekend, folks. Have a good night.